We're talking Optical Lab in this episode. This is Perry Brill. Today is an awesome uh, journey we're going to go follow, and it's with Janet Benjamin, who owns Laramie K. It's an independent optical lab. Yes, believe it or not, there is still laboratories out there that are not owned by Eslor and Zeiss and Hoya and some other big fellas out there. So today we're going to be talking about myths and truths and lies of the optical industry, how to maintain profitability in your optical lab, what lenses to order, and we're just going to go over how lenses are actually made. So enjoy this episode as we get into the lab business of optical that seems so big and scary, but it's something we all should become more familiar with. Welcome to Entrepreneur, the podcast for wizards of eyes. I'm Dr. Raymond Brill with my co-host, Perry Brill, and we're here to bring you stories about wizards of eyes. Yes, what is a wizard, Dr. Brill? Well, these are folks that you may have heard about, may not have heard about. These are people who are actually very successful in doing what they do in all aspects of eye care. We're not talking to self-proclaimed industry geniuses, experts, masters, or gurus because we're talking to wizards of eyes that make it happen each and every day. They are out there working every day in the labs, on the road, in the practices, in surgery suites, making lenses, making frames. Yes, we want to hear these back-of-the-house stories about innovation, entrepreneurship, and make you feel excited to do what you do. We want you to be energized about the whole eye care field. And this is not your big optical program. This is done out of the passion of our hearts. Please go ahead and subscribe to Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or your favorite app. Also, visit Entrepreneur.com where you'll find our latest blogs and special video content. That's www.e-y-e-t-r-e-p-r-e-n-e-u-r.com. Today, we're pleased to have Janet Benjamin of Laramie K Optical in Indianola, Iowa. And welcome to the podcast, Janet. Well, thanks, guys. Um, I'm really a fan of what you're doing. I think any time that you can reach the masses, um, and definitely social media and electronically, that's kind of the way things are going right now. Um, I think the podcasts are a great idea. And I love your personalities and what you're doing for the industry. So I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Janet. Well, we'd like to have you start out by uh, telling us your journey. You know, how did you get into optical? How did you get involved in being one of the really only uh, uncut only labs? And uh, perhaps just lead us along and especially as a female owner of a lab. So please tell us how you got to where you are today. Well, I actually started when my son Keith was four years old and I needed a job. So I went to the local workforce agency, um, filled out paperwork, and I started at Milton Roy Optical, which is 
a defunct company now. Um, I remember them. I bought yeah. a lot of uh, uh, optometry equipment and trial lens sets at, when I was at ICO. So they yeah. were very good. Gary Relkeld or something like that? Yeah. So. That was my very, very first job. Um, and that was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Wow. And I felt like an alien when I was thrown into the optical industry. Um, it was like learning a new language, a new culture. Um, and I was absolutely fascinated with it. What age um, did you start there? What age did I start there? Yes. I was 19. Okay. So young, very young and uh, ambitious, hopefully. Yeah. It's like I say, it was, I was, I was fascinated with all of it. And I think that when you get into the optical industry, um, it's almost like a disease that your body is either going to reject it or it's going to become part of your blood and there's no way out of it. And I'm definitely in the second portion of that. So I was ready to learn everything that I could learn and was very fortunate along the way to have people that were not hesitant at all to share the information. So I feel very blessed in that. Well, well did you have kind of eye, an eye-opening moment where you kind of knew, whoa, you know, I, I like the technical aspect or the manufacturing procedures. What was that kind of tipping point that, you know, where the, the bug bit you? I think, well, after Milton Roy, um, I went to work at Bosch and Lum in Fort Lauderdale. And my, um, I think that that is where I really discovered that it was something that I loved and wanted to continue to do. Um, then I, I met my husband. Um, that was at Lens Tech in Fort Lauderdale. And we both worked there. He was the lab manager. Um, he has always been, he, he actually got his opticianary skills from the Navy. Um, he was a medic in the Navy and he chose to go through optical school. And so he was very, very savvy in all of the formulas and the, the technology and how to run a lab with workflow and training people. Um, when I went to work at LensTech, we started dating and the company at that point decided that when we got married, that they were going to, I don't know what the word is, they were going to hold to their policy of non-nepotism. And so he was actually allowed to fire me. <laughs> um, so we, I left LensTech. I kind of got a little bit off base there. So that's, that's where I went from Milton Roy. I went to LensTech. And then after that, um, when I left LensTech, I was on unemployment and the owner of LensTech kept sending me leads and I got a call from Bosch and Lum and what they were offering me at that point, And we're talking back in the seventies was almost double what minimum wage was at that point. And there was no way that I could turn it down. So, so let me see. So does that mean you made about two ninety an hour, two dollars and ninety cents an hour at least? No, actually, they started me at four. A four dollars an hour? Okay. Four dollars an hour. Okay. All right. Well, um, 
at that time in the early 70s, while I was still in high school, I went from $1.40 to $2.90 as a manager. So yeah. And it was a big deal. $4 was pretty darn good. That was a heck of a salary at that point. Or you could buy a Whopper for 59 cents, too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and your and your average still had penny candy. You know, your average decent car was $2,000. Correct. So a uh, family car, $2,000. Now right. the tax $2,000. So, yeah. So you were progressing nicely going from uh, Milton Roy, or as they call it, Milroy. Right. And, and were you learning in fabrication or what was actually your involvement over at Milton Roy? Um, customer service. Oh, customer service. So you didn't really get it in too deep into the, uh, the actual details of optical and running a lab and all that. Right. Not at that point. Scratch. Yeah. Okay. Then, um, so you went, then you went to Lens Tech and then Bosch picked you up. What did you do at Lens Tech? Exactly. It was actually customer service there too, but um, I was curious enough that I asked a lot of questions. Um, I was in charge of kind of going through invoices on a daily basis and keeping track of what they called specials, um, which at that point, we went by the back curves on the lenses or the tools that we use. And so anything under a four diopter curve on the back or over a 10 diopter curve on the back at that point was considered a special. And so I'm, I mean, I knew how to find the information. It was all on the paper. You just copy it down. Um, but I wasn't really satisfied with just copying it down. I wanted to know why it was considered a special, why it was important to keep track of that for the laboratory and what it actually meant. And the gentleman that I was doing that for, his name was Jerry Wismer. And he was just amazing at answering my questions. Um, now you did a lot of glass lenses back then still? Actually, no, that was plastic. Oh, plastic. So they yeah, moved, moved away from glass and mm -hmm. went to plastic. Okay. Right. That was one of, the, one of the first labs in the country to successfully run CR39 lenses. Um, but the, CR, the turnaround time at that point was still in the 7 to 10 day range, even for an uncut lens. It's unusual because... Almost every place I've worked, um, we've dealt with uncut product. And that's really where my heart is. Um, being able to visualize the frame that it's going into in the end product, but from an uncut standpoint, being able to make it not even, not just the best acuity, but cosmetically the best product that we can produce. Um, I call what we do at Laramie K, we're, we're making eye jewelry. Um, I think you guys would connect with that. Um, sure. So, so Janet, can you give us a, um, a synopsis? What is Laramie K Optical? That's the, your business. And what do you guys do special um, in the market? Well, Laramie K Optical is a medium-sized family-owned optical laboratory. Um, we produce uncut lenses for independent opticians and ODs actually all over the world. Um, we 
have an opportunity to work with a customer in Israel. We've got a couple of customers that are in Australia. Um, we've produced some work for customers in New Zealand. And we've also had the opportunity to do some out-of-the-box projects, what really keeps things fresh, both for um, the management and for the team that actually produces product. Um, when we started Laramie K Optical, it was, um, we'd left Midwest Lens and we were actually, my husband and I were actually going to start just a small specials laboratory that maybe we could do from home, you know, build a small building in the backyard. I've got three acres and everybody that we talked to from bankers to business planners said, you know, you guys really have a lot of experience and a lot of potential to produce jobs for people. Would you consider doing something on a larger scale? And at that point in our lives, we were like, well, you know, if we borrow $5,000, we can't pay it back. So if we borrow $150,000, which was a lot of money back then, um, and we can't pay it back, we still have to put everything, heart and soul, materialistically, everything has to go into making this a success. So um, we, we knew that we wanted to focus on the, the staff, the people that work for us, um, making sure that they were taken, taken care of on an exceptional level, um, both from the standpoint of salaries, hourly wages, and benefits. Insurance companies are one of my pet peeves, always have been, always will be. Um, that gets really detailed these days. But as far as Laramie K goes, we still have, I think, five employees that started with us originally, and we're going on 30 years of being in business. So Very cool. So you're an uncut only laboratory. Uh, maybe you can explain what non-cut is if uh, people listening aren't aware of, of that. Okay. And why, why is that your, your specialty versus being full service? Well, an uncut, an uncut lens is simply we take the information that the doctor or optician provides us and we take what we call in the industry a semi-finished blank, which is finished on the front. Um, it's just basically a, a puck and we put the curves on the back of that specific front curve in order to come up with what the doctor has prescribed. Um, there are a lot of laboratories that do that, but not exclusively. Um, the way the industry has come about, um, we've just decided to stay in the uncut aspect of it because we've determined after 30 years that even though a lot of people can produce an uncut lens to produce it specifically for it, it's a fingerprint so what we're producing is a fingerprint and our goal is not only to make it optically correct um, but to also make it as cosmetically appealing as we can um, we really like to partner with our customers um, I always tell them that my goal is really, it's to make them happy, but, but our ultimate goal is to make their patients happy. 
because if we can make their patients happy, then we are actually partnering in their business to bring people back. And that's the goal is to help them build their reputation and their clientele. Well, actually back to the difference uh, of an uncut, can you tell us the difference between an uncut and a stock lens? Um, they are, they're very similar in some ways. Um, a stock lens is always predetermined. The, it's a product that is mass manufactured. Um, they have a mold that the monomer goes into and generally they're single vision. Um, occasionally there are flat tops and I think a couple of people make progressives, but just spherical powers. Um, the difference between a stock lens and an uncut is that the uncut um, is more specific. Um, a single vision lens, you can take one off the shelf, rotate it 180 degrees and get your access. Um, an uncut lens is more like a fingerprint. Whether it's a, a single vision lens that we're surfacing for cosmetic reasons or that it's not available in a finished lens, or whether it's a, a bifocal, trifocal, or progressive. They're all processed as an individual fingerprint product for a specific person. And a lot of times it depends on the frame too, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, yeah. We, we have a lot of conversations with customers about what's appropriate and what's not. Um, people will send in a prescription with a frame that is completely out of line for the power that they're asking and we'll tell them, well, yeah, we can, we can produce it. Um, but is, is your client really going to want to wear it? Right. Uh, I remember back in, back in the day we would have, we would stock lenses and we would have a, our own uh, dry cut edger and you'd get a situation where you had a, a small child's frame, you know, very small eye size. Mm -hmm. And, and the RX was a, a plus four. Mm -hmm. and, and there was a temptation to say, well, I'll use plus four stock lens. Right. But that plus four stock lens was really going to be the whole center thickness of that lens. And, and it would look terrible and it wouldn't be appropriate. So that was a situation where we'd have to tell the lab optician, say, look at this is one you have to order as an uncut mm -hmm. to get it to look nice and be appropriate thickness. And, and that's, where I, that's where I learned, okay, sometimes, even though you have the exact same exact lens there, you do have to uh, actually an order uncut instead of a stock lens. So right. are there other situations where you can maybe inform the doctors that are listening, okay, this is how that, how that works. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the, the uh, dispensing opticians, especially licensed ones already know this, but we're going to have people that are not um, licensed and, uh, Maybe you can enlighten a couple more situations where you'd want to have an uncut. Generally, thickness is the issue um, in single vision product. Um, if you're wanting to come up with the cosmetically the most appealing product, um, it's going to depend on, number one, the frame selection, the power of the lens, and how much decentration you're actually putting in that lens to get the the OC of the lens where it needs to be for that particular client. So if you've got a, a very small PD and a very large frame, um, whether it's a minus lens or a plus lens, um, sometimes a, an uncut or what we call a surfaced lens 
is going to make a lot more sense because we can control the thickness on that, where when you're using a, a stock lens out of an envelope, there's no, um, you, you can't control the base curve, you can't control the thickness, it is what it is. So you're taking a lens out of an envelope that could theoretically be used for hundreds of people with a surface lens, we're creating a product for one individual. Sure, that makes total sense. And um, I think for, you know, a lot of times we think just because uh, we're ordering a customized lens that it's going to come out thinner, but a lot of that ha just has to do with proper frame selection, kind of what you were talking about. Um, it, it has to be a mix of, of both to get good uh, aesthetics. It really does. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, you, could, you can easily take a minus 10 and UCR 39 with a really small um, eye size and do pretty well. That's correct. Yeah. So, Janet, I want to kind of jump into um, – the, you know, what's going on in the lab market? There's a lot of confusion uh, between corporate labs and independent. Now independent are becoming corporate with private equity takeovers. Um, so you're kind of a unicorn out there right now. <laughs> a good one. A really good one, I'm sure. Uh, you have lots of people, a lot of raving fans on the Facebook groups I see, which is exciting. Um, how should an ECP choose a lab to work with today? What are the key pillars? I think a lot of the lab fit um, is, we like to think that it's personality. Um, I think each lab has a personality, whether it's a, a digital personality, which I would say is virtually no human contact. Everything is done online and you're not actually talking to a human being um, to a lab like us, Laramie K where 90% of what we do is phone conversations. And there's so many times during the day that we have discussions with the optician or the doctor phoning in the RX. Um, what can we do to make this RX better? So I think that in selecting a laboratory, um, it, it really depends on what your goal is. I would say that 90% of the customers that we deal with as Laramie K are number one, independent. Number two, they do their own edging. And the reason that they do their own edging is because they are as committed to the aesthetics and their quality in the finished product as we are in producing an uncut lens that meets their specifications. Um, there are probably a lot, not a lot of people out there that are familiar with ANSI which is the American National Standards Institute. We started a phrase back in the 80s saying ANSI is for amateurs. Um, the American National Standards Institute is a company that basically sets the tolerances for eye care and for not only frames, but for lenses as well. Um, how much room do we have to play with as far as getting an axis correct, getting a power correct, um, getting a PD correct, getting the thickness correct. Those things over the last 15 years, even though technology has gotten to a point where we can tighten up on those and essentially make a perfect lens in, in some aspect. I mean, nothing is perfect, but we're much closer to it in this era than we were 20 years ago. And yet the people that are involved in setting the standards 
instead of tightening up on those, they have broadened them to the point where the customers that do, we deal with, if we produce to ANSI standards, they, they wouldn't accept it. Um, we tell people we produce product to their standards. And it's interesting that different offices have different, different things that they really place importance on. We have some customers that um, access is the biggest deal in the world. We have some customers that power is very important to them. We have some that thickness is very important to them. Um, in our computer database, we can actually specify by customer um, what the tolerances are, um, what their perfect product would be. Um, a lot of labs inspect by the top of the ticket who the job is going to. And oh, we know that Dr. X really doesn't care about power. So, you know, if the lens is a half a diopter off, we're going to send it. Um, sure. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't do that. We actually, everything that, everything that we turn out, hopefully is the, the picture perfect lens that any of our customers would not only accept, but fall in love with. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, one of my pet peeves with laboratories is ECPs are too loyal to labs. Um, and, you know, they'll put up with a crappy lab for years. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it, it's comfortable, you know, they call and they talk to Betty Joe or Kevin who, you know, they've been talking to for 10 years. And um, even though it's a crappy lab and they take some 14 days to send them a plastic lens with AR, <laughs> right. minus, minus a quarter, minus a quarter, they deal with it. Um, so I think we do need to up the standard and get away from the, you know, the ANSI amateur stuff because it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I would urge, you know, all opticians, all doctors to, if you're unhappy, realize that there's alternatives out there and they might not have a big H on there or a big E or a Z on the name. Right. So you have to go out in and try something. It's, it's free to try. Um, obviously, you need to pay your bills. But, right. Uh, and, you know, maybe you could buy your own donuts or candy. <laughs> maybe, so you could. maybe you could. Maybe you could even buy, you know, Godiva candy or. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and I'd say once in a while, do a little uh, blind blind test of your own. Say, you know, order a prescription from the same prescription for, for maybe one of the older doctors in three different designs or from three different labs and test them out. So right. a lot of that house, the house brand actually is pretty darn good, even though it doesn't have a fancy marketing derived name. Correct. Do some do some of your own testing. In the past, we found that people oftentimes do better with the, the non-fanciest type of lens. So they get used to an analog view and they're fine with it. Yeah. So. That's, that's really interesting because when, when freeform lenses, um, well, I, should, I should probably start with AR coatings. Um, we've been doing AR coatings in-house for almost 20 years now. Um, everybody thought I was insane when we started doing in-house AR at the size of lab Laramie K is because you normally think about in-house AR and a huge corporate laboratory that has, you know, a gazillion dollars to spend. Um, I kind of like when you keep your pulse on the industry, you, you kind of know where things are going. So we started 
producing AR in-house long before other laboratories did. Um, and there's still cons a considerable amount of independents out there that, that haven't made the investment into freeform in-house or they haven't made the investment into AR coatings in-house. Um, but we really, because of our customer base, wanted to be able to provide for them in a timely manner and with quality that, that we were assured of because we do our own testing on a daily basis, um, some of the best product that, that can be produced. So yeah, that's fabulous. Um, so I'm going to transition into, you know, producing the best product. And a lot of that just has to do with customer service as silly as that sounds, just the ability for a lab to communicate to ECP is a big thing, right? Um, so, you know, what happens when a lab's providing really excellent service and then all of a sudden it just goes real sour fast? Um, I think, you know, we all have experienced that in, in the field. Um, so what happens when it goes from good to bad? We've experienced that. I mean, we've been through times, days and, and weeks where, you know, quality has been an issue. Um, I would say that the, the first line of defense would be to call and have a conversation with your lab. Um, saying what's going on, um, is it something that can be solved, and give them a period of time to correct the issue. Um, if the issue doesn't get corrected, then it's really time to try somebody else. Um, yeah, it seems like we get, sometimes you just get lies, you know, and it's better for a lab to just be transparent and say, hey, we had two employees quit, and, um, you know, we have to get staffed again, or whatever the reason right. They should be honest. Right. And we're really proactive on that. Um, if we have a, a breakage on a product or a lens doesn't pass inspection, um, we try and give the customer a call and, like I say, be proactive and let them know what's going on with a particular job before their client is calling them saying, hey, you told me it was going to be, you know, four to five days and now I'm two weeks out. What's happened? Um, so if, if we screw up, we screw up and, and we own up to it. Um, we'll say, Hey, you know, that was entered into the computer wrong, or we had a breakage in the AR lab, but we always try to keep our customers up to date with their product and, um, what the ETA is going to be on it. Yeah. It's been interesting in the last several years when, uh, big supplier H said expect delays because of our thailand plant had a fire right we thought our lenses were coming from asia right we, thought, we ordered them local uh they're made local and then they're shipped to us or we go pick them up right so so now um a lot of supply is done in asia and uh, mainly china so tell us about what's what's changed in that front getting uh getting high quality or medium or average quality from Asian suppliers? Well, we actually saw the trend starting to turn that way in the lab industry probably 15, at least 15 years ago. Um, the, the large suppliers, which now are the three big O's that um, we may have spoken about, Essler, Hoya, and Sola, um, started outsourcing their product and instead of getting it manufactured in the United States, 
um, it was being manufactured in, in Mexico or in China or in Taiwan. Um, and that was for the, the pucks or the semi-finished blanks that we used as a laboratory. Um, now it's gone to the point where even the surface product is not being produced in the States anymore. Um, there are some companies that have different locations depending on what the index of refraction is, what, what type of a multifocal it is, what kind of AR coding it's getting. So where you may feel you're dealing with a local lab that your impression is, everything is being manufactured at that laboratory, in reality, probably not. Yeah, that's crazy, just the deception that occurs out there. We're, we're very proud to say that our product is, is made in the USA. Um, some of the semi-finished product that we get obviously is not, but everything that we do is, is in-house. We've got, I really believe, the best, we've got the best team together um, of, of any lab out there. I mean, we've really got a, what I consider a dream team. They're, they're my family. Every single one of them we consider family, um, but they all take their job seriously. And Yeah. How many staff members do you have working in a lab? I, I think sometimes if an optician or doctor has never been to a lab, they might think you have 500 people working in a lab, but it, it's actually a pretty efficient team generally. It really is. Yeah. We've got, including Keith and John Seegers who handle the optician works, we've got 27 employees. Okay, so you got a nice little, nice operation there. Um, so, Janet, um, I hear this from a lot of opticians, and they get frustrated because jobs don't come in on, on time. And um, there's generally a reason for it. So would you mind sharing us with what you think the top three things are that cause ordering delays? Okay, the number one would be not giving the laboratory all of the pertinent information it needs to process the RX. Um, number two would be... What would some of that things be like? Oh, they... PD? They, or? Yeah, they, if they're ordering electronically or even we have customers that still fax product over. Um, Why? If, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's habit. Just like dealing with a laboratory, it's habit. Um, yeah. So it's, it's easy for them. That's how they've always done it. And they like the, they like the paper aspect. Yep. yep. Until you're, until you're dragged into the 21st century, you're going to do it the way you do it. Um, I do have to say, however, that when we take our X's on the phone, it's still written on paper before it's entered into the computer. Um, our CSRs are familiar with what information we need to correctly process the job. And so by ordering it on the phone, we can bypass a lot of those callbacks that we have to make for specific information. Um, if a job is ordered electronically or sent over on the fax, some of the things that are commonly left off are either the seg height on a, on a multifocal, the PD measurement. Um, what's really important in today's production setting with freeform is the shape of the frame. Not necessarily the manufacturer, or we certainly don't need to know the color or temple length or anything like that, but we do need to know what 
shape the lenses, whether it's a, a square or a rectangle or a cat eye. Um, on our website, we've actually got, I think, about 20 different shapes to choose from. Um, on plus lenses, we always tell people if you don't find a shape that matches not only close, but close to exact, and you're wanting a very specific outcome, send us a shape electronically. You can even send us a picture of the frame um, so we know what to select. Because when you're entering that information into the computer, it's trying to determine what, at what angle the thinnest edge is going to be. So if a client tells us that the frame is a round frame, when in fact it's a P3, you would think that there's very little difference between the two. But with a P3, um, it does look like a round lens, but it's a little bit narrower and it's, got, it's a little bit wider across the top. So if we're producing a freeform lens for what we think is a round frame, because that's what the client has told us, um, especially in a plus lens, it's not going to cut out when they get it. So if it's got any kind of a corner, any kind of an upsweep on it, um, we need to know that, especially in freeform. The software for freeform lenses is actually embedded in the software for us to crib the lens as close to the frame shape as we possibly can. There's a couple of reasons for that. Um, the main one is to save on the edging process. Um, if the lens is like time and wear and tear on the wear and tear, edge. correct. Yeah, absolutely. And it actually leaves less error for margin for error, I should say. It leaves less margin for error um, in edging the product because the closer it is to the frame shape, the less excess product you're cutting off of that lens. And so if you're starting with a 75 millimeter blank and you're edging it down to, for instance, a child's frame that's a 44i, um, that's a lot of excess material that you have to edge down. And because there's so much cutting that has to be done, your chances of that lens spinning when you're, when you're edging and cutting off that excess material is, it, it goes up dramatically. So by having the lens smaller, you've got less of a chance for the lens to turn on the, on the block, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. So, um, to the listeners out there, um, we're you know we're talking about edging uncuts in office, and there's so much margin for error that goes on. And we all, if you if you're currently edging your office, you know the frustration you get when you just get these chunks of lenses, and it's hard on the edgers because the anti-reflective coatings are very very slick, mm -hmm. and no you know no matter what pad and leap pad and spray you put on there, it's just tough. So um, right. that's good that you guys crib it down as much as possible. Um, well, that's so like Janet, uh, I'd like to know, uh, we try to have state-of-the-art in-house edging, but uh, I get pushed back from my colleagues and say, well, why are you doing that? You're only saving $7, $9 a pair. So I, uh, from my standpoint, we like offering stellar service, immediate service, 
and uh, and I think that it's part of our brand. But tell us why current uh, optometrists or op- opticians, ophthalmologists should do, offer in-office edging these days, and how it could be more profitable to do so. Oh, it absolutely is more profitable. Um, you. But aren't you just saving $7 a job or whatever the lab uh, deduct is? That's so go, through, go, through that, go through that mindset. Why should we buy an edger and how we should improve our service and, and save money at the same time? Yeah. Um, the labs that offer full service that also produce uncut lenses, um, they give the illusion that in order for them to edge it in-house, it's only going to cost you another 7 or $8. Um, where in fact, the, the price is, is built into the product already. Um, so if you would compare an uncut laboratory's price list to a full-service laboratory's price list that also does uncut product, the, the margin is, is way higher. Um, ordering an uncut lens from a full service laboratory. Um, so are you saying, you know, are you saying that for instance, um, a full service lab might charge $200 for a, a PAL with AR, but an uncut lab might charge, you know, half that? Yeah, 150 maybe. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Yeah, because let's a full, we um, used to deal with a local uh, large e-brand uh, optical a long time ago and and I learned that the opticians had uncut price lists, and all I had was a full service price list with a deduct seven dollars. I thought they had uncut accounts and and full service accounts. I thought that was totally unfair and non transparent. So so it got me thinking completely different after that. I think that's what you're alluding to is that there's some shenanigans going on with uh, from full service labs to do an uncut, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and another thing that they do very frequently is with single vision lenses, um, a full service lab will take lenses off of the shelf. They'll take a stock lens. Oh yeah. That's so criminal. So <laughs> criminal. And then they charge you $80 for it when it should be five. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So can you, can you clarify on that, Janet, what, what we're talking about? Uh, so let's say you have a, a, a minus two. And the optician fits just a CR39 with a premium AR. Mm-hmm. What, what are the labs doing that's um, just not right? The, the full service labs, if, if they can, and if the frame decentration, all the parameters will allow it, um, they can pull a stock lens off the shelf um, that would sell for, if you're talking a, a CR39 with a premium AR, um, what, what a full service lab can do if a single vision lens is called in with a premium AR is that they'll go to the shelf, um, pull a stock lens off the shelf, use it for that job, and charge as if that lens was surfaced, which in reality ends up costing the doctor or optician's office uh, sometimes as much as 70 to 80% more than if you were edging in-house and could pull that same stock lens off of your shelf or even order it from a laboratory and get it the next day. And so the, the savings is enormous. A full service laboratory actually counts on all of those add-ons 
to, to make their money and to make it profitable for them at the expense of the optician or the doctor. It's been done forever. I mean, it's not anything that's, that's new or I, I think it's criminal, but yeah, you know, it's, that's my own personal. I guess from the full service lab, they say, well, we plan to have, it's our prerogative. We, you know, if the market bears that, then we can, we can do it. And, and actually the end customer is still getting what they wanted, but right. I'm from the standpoint of an owner, uh, from uh, either an optical or optometry office. What we want to get to the point is that there are significant savings if you're willing to make an investment in the time and energy to, to train and to have an appropriate edger and, and an inventory. I mean, yeah. there's, some, there's some upfront costs there, but the savings can be really substantial. Right. And, uh, and, that's, and that's what we're looking for. How do you squeeze out a little bit more profit, especially in this day of managed care? Yeah. Because right. managed care puts a crimp on, on everyone's profitability. Yeah. So, hey, hey, Janet, um, I think a lot of opticians and optometrists are very scared of edging progressive lenses because, mm-hmm. you know, you could easily um, eat a lens and that's like, throwing a hundred dollar bill in the trash right or a two hundred dollar yeah they only do say i hear them say yeah we have edger but we only edge single vision lenses i'm thinking well you're not going to save a lot of money on edging single vision lenses i mean where you're gonna you're gonna save a lot more if you're edging your progressives correct yeah so talk to us about that how do we get over that fear and you know not not feel bad or maybe our laboratory has our back and we should feel good about that i think your lab should have your back um there again I'm speaking from an uncut standpoint versus a full service lab standpoint, but the, the margins there are, are huge. And there's not a lot of difference, honestly, between edging a progressive lens and a single vision lens. You're, you're still blocking the specifications, um, whether it's an OC height or a PD, you still have to get those things right on a single vision lens. Um, with a with a progressive, we actually offer our customers to we'll send them scrap lenses if we knew that if we know that they have just purchased purchased an edger and are just getting into that and maybe a little bit uncomfortable with it. Um, we send we send scrap lenses for them to practice on. There's no way that we should be expecting our customers to practice on, like you say, maybe a $200 pair of lenses um, when we've got lenses that we've thrown away for quality purposes that wouldn't pass inspection that we have available that they can practice on. Um, it, and it doesn't, it doesn't cost them anything. So that's, that's one of the things that we do. Um, with, with today's edgers and the blocking systems that they have, like I say, there's really not a lot of difference between edging a single vision lens and edging a progressive lens, except for what you said, it's the fear factor. Correct. It would, be, it yeah. would actually be the same thing between, I think if you were dealing with single vision lenses only, do I want to edge this frame for, do I want to edge these lenses for a frame that I purchased for say 15 to 20 dollars yeah i'm okay with that but do i want to edge the single vision lens for a frame that possibly cost me 170 dollars and i don't think i want to take that chance i'm going to send it to the lab yeah no you're totally right and actually 
the more expensive frames are actually easier to edge into because the bevels are just placed nicely in there and the acetate and the metals just the barrels close easy so mm-hmm. it's very very counterintuitive and they're consistent consistent yeah. yes the the frames the the quality frames are consistent you can count on it um and and that's the way lenses should be you know the the saying that if something sounds too good to be true it probably is 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 definitely pertinent to our industry today yeah um so one thing that sounds too good to be true is that you can actually buy reasonably priced lenses so can we talk about you know why so should someone purchase maybe a house branded lens or what we call independent versus big optical um you know i there's people developing you know all these lenses um and i don't think it needs to necessarily have a name on it to be good so uh, what's up with the big names and the independent? How do they differ? I think it's kind of brand snobbery. Um, maybe I won't go that far. Maybe it's brand recognition. But in the end, the person that's wearing that lens can't tell whether it has a brand on it or not. Um, the goal of the optician or optometrist is to be able to provide the best lens for that particular patient, no matter what, who they get it from, no matter what the brand is. Um, we've been doing freeform in-house now for almost 10 years. Um, we started out with a couple of the big names and we decided that we needed to have something that was different and a house brand to be able to kind of stay on par with what the large corporate labs were offering. Found out very, very quickly that a house brand means something completely different to Laramie K than it means to most opticians or optometrists. Generally, people think of a house brand as being something that is inexpensive, maybe of a lesser quality, certainly um, they would be able to increase their margins because their expectations aren't that high. For the team at Laramie K, when we have a house lens, that's actually our name. It's our reputation. And we really feel that to be able to put our name on something, it has to be able to perform at least to the equivalent of if not better than anything else that's on the market. That's actually why we decided to go with IOT for our quote unquote house brand. And our house brand, we actually call our integrity series. One of my favorite quotes ever, and I don't know who to contribute it to. I just remembered that I read it in a Reader's, Reader's Digest is that if you have integrity, nothing else matters. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. Um, That's kind of where our integrity design, our integrity line came from both in lenses and in AR coatings. Well, Jana, that makes total sense. And I think you've worked on dispelling the notion that uh, lenses without great brand names, uh, big optical names are much better than, than a house brand. It really depends on the math. And you mentioned IOT. We did have a chance to do a podcast with 
president of IOT. So oh, for yeah. those listeners, it's yes. not out. It's it's not out yet, but uh, it will be out when we get it ready. Uh-huh. So I do want to talk a little bit more on a macro basis about managed care. You know, um, a lot of times we're, uh, uh, opticals are held captive by the managed care organization that you must order lenses from. Um, you know, a managed care organization starting with a V or starting with an E or starting with a D. Right. And, and you can't order it from an individual lab, or you have to order it from a, uh, a sanctioned lab that, that offers those. So how do you deal with that aspect uh, where opticians or optometrists say, no, I can't order from you. I have to order it from the V lab. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish that was something that I had more experience with, but we're not an insurance lab. So we don't handle BSP. We don't handle IMED. We don't handle any of those. So everything that we get is generally private pay. Um, we've got some customers that are under those contracts that because they edge in-house and they have a lab in-house, they still have some choices as to what laboratory they can use for certain products. Um, I think that as the, the integration with the big opticals continues to grow vertically, that those choices are going to be taken away. I gotta, now, will, that, will that pressure you as a lab to say, look, at, we're, you know, we're being cut out of all that managed care business. Will you be forced to say, you know, okay, we'll, we'll, we will have to deal with the managed care organizations? I don't think so. Um, and that's only because as an owner, um, my goal is not to be the biggest lab in the country. Um, we know that we can't serve everybody, which is what the big labs are trying to do. Um, we actually, our, our prime focus is the independent opticians and ODs out there who really want to control their quality. And you don't have that option, unfortunately, with insurance because they do have so many restrictions that are placed on your contract with them. Um, now, on, a, on another related topic, you know, we're seeing the increase in entities called private equity, mm-hmm. where they're buying up blocks of either chain offices or independent optometric offices. And part of their goal is to make consolidation of laboratory services, HR services. So do you feel that that's going to have an impact on your, on your business down the line? And, and especially, they're going to be buying the, probably the busier or more efficient practices. And, mm-hmm. and they may have discovered you, and now they're going to say, no, you have to order from a uh, different entity. Yeah, I mean, you, you could have a, uh, an account, Janet, with five practices, and all of a sudden, uh, they're ordering you know, 200 jobs a week from you, and now they're none. Uh-huh. It's, it's scary. So but- do you have some adaptation that you're going to have to consider? Or, or- well, that's absolutely happened to us before. Um, you know, even with dealing with other laboratories where they were ordering freeform from us and then decided that they were going to do their own. Um, so those are adjustments that we do have to make along the line. And we're always looking for people that fit with an uncut laboratory. Um, yeah. we does know that, that the- create price pressure for you, downward price pressure? 
So, so you have opportunity on the flip side of, of the challenge, there's also opportunity where, where they can go to you and say, you know, we got, we just took on another hundred offices. Mm -hmm. And if you lower your prices by X, Y, Z percent, mm -hmm. or maybe just X, Y percent, right. uh, you know, you're, you're going to be having incrementally more business and you will have our loyalties right. for a co contracted period of time. I mean, yeah. how, how do you contend with those? Lar those are larger decisions. So those are large decisions, but I don't like to have, I, I guess the way to explain that would be that again, our goal is to service the, the smaller independent practices. Um, we offer, for instance, a 10% prompt payment discount. It has absolutely nothing to do with volume. Um, our, our shipping charges are based on what the previous month's volume was. We don't charge, you know, a dollar an RX to have jobs shipped out. Um, I've always felt, ever since I've been in this industry, that the larger the customer, the more benefits that they get from their laboratory, where the smaller practices are actually the ones that need that financial help. So we're, we've based everything from our pricing structure to our, our shipping charges, everything is geared for the smaller independent practitioner. And because of that, we don't have those super large accounts that control 20% of our business or 30% of our business. So in that aspect, it's something that we don't worry about because in, in the end game, they're really not a customer of ours to begin with. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, and, and that gets to the point that we all have choices in this industry. Um, you know, whether you're, let's say you're a manager of a practice and um, whether your doctor that you're working for is hands-on or hands-off, you should, uh, as that practice manager, uh, have influence. And you should go do your research about the vendors that you're using. Um, you have to constantly reassess every single month, every single year, why are you using this vendor? There's, there could potentially always be someone better out there. Um, and this brings me to the point that, you know, a lot of, most of us are managed care practices. And if you're ordering lenses from um, a big optical laboratory because you have to for managed care. Mm -hmm. You should um, potentially, for cash pay patients, you should order from an independent lab because you're going to get much better pricing and, and better service. And so, quality. And quality. So don't just rely on one laboratory for cash patients. You should develop a, a strategy to work with independent. And you'll be quite amazed um, at that really family relationship that you can establish. It's, it's fun. Yeah, exactly. I always tell our customers that I hope that we're not the only lab that they use. Um, because, you know, we can, we can run into issues. We can run into problems. Um, you have to have a backup. You have to have a backup for the, because we're nationwide, actually worldwide, but um, because we're nationwide, um, we know that a, a practice has to have somebody local that they can, that they can count on if they have to have something the same day. Um, we can offer it the next day, nine times out of 10. But if you've got somebody in there with a broken pair of glasses and needs something immediately that falls out of the single vision stock category, 
we always encourage people have a relationship with your local lab. Um, that's, that's something that's important. That's a, a business decision that should be a no brainer. You don't put all of your eggs in one basket, just like we don't put all of our eggs in one basket with the, the massive um, practices that have 27 offices because they want a lower price. Um, that's, that's why we don't deal with them. Yeah, totally. Um, well, it's been such a pleasure uh, chatting with you, Janet. I want you to leave our, our listeners, um, you know, with some words of inspiration. Um, you know, what, what do you think as ECPs we should be doing in our clinics and our practices, opticals to really thrive um, coming into 2020 here soon? I think, there's, I think that we have to learn how to think outside the box. Um, I think a lot of opticians and, and optometrists have, have tried to stay in the medical field. And one of the things that we really try and encourage people to do is nobody really likes going to the doctor. Um, so make, it, make your dispensary something that is always changing, something that always has something new, something that's going to bring people in just to browse, like a retail experience. Um, whether it's offering local artistry or, or jewelry or, you know, have, have something to, to draw people in, a reason to come back and see something different than they saw a month ago. I think that it's to, to make it an experience for them, it's a pleasurable experience not something like, oh, I have to go to the dentist. You know, Jana, we didn't talk on, uh, I know we're trying to wrap it up here, but I think that you've made it uh, such a significant contribution to the education of the opticianry world with your optician works, uh, online, continue, online continuing education and, and really start from scratch. So let's spend a few minutes going over what you offer for education. Because as I know, there are very few books in, uh, for opticianry, uh, very few training programs. Most of them are on the job. So tell us what your son and uh, John Seegers has put together for training on your website or on opticianworks.com. Okay. Um, well, with the Optician Works, I, I think that the reason that we got into that was because I myself have been so blessed to have people along the way willing to teach and willing to share their knowledge that for Laramie McKay, one of our goals has always been to give back something to the industry that has allowed us to specifically support 27 families um, in, a, in a local atmosphere. So one of the ways that we can do that and give back to the industry is with the optician works. Um, John Seegers actually started that quite a few years ago. Um, he, was, he was ready to get out of it, and he was just going to close it down because he just wasn't getting the support that he needed. And so Keith had quite a few conversations with him and kept encouraging him to either stay in it or if he didn't want to stay in it by himself to join Laramie Kay, and together, maybe we could produce something that was really going to make an impression on the industry. And we call him now 
John Sears. We don't call him John Sears. We call him that guy on the internet because everybody knows who you're talking about when you say that optical guy on the internet. He he's our own. He's a celebrity. He is. He's our own Larry McKay rock star celebrity. Yeah, and um, for people that aren't aware, you know, John produces. I think one. A very well-produced video every week that could go over something very technical, uh, such as um, lensometry or something kind of fun and crafty like uh, shortening temples. Correct. And these videos are posted on what, YouTube and Facebook every week? Is that right? Uh Yep. Okay. We have a YouTube channel, so you can go to YouTube and just search Laramie K and those, all of the videos will come up and those are all at no charge. Those don't cost anything. Yeah, I think that is, it's, it's a damn shame that in, uh, in this industry that we always have, have to charge for stuff. Uh, we should make uh, information very accessible. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how we all learn and grow as an industry. And you guys are really doing the right thing. You're, you're elevating the profession by making education available um, to many people who just either can't afford it or they just don't want to put the commitment in. So that, that's great. Yeah. And John does such an amazing job. He, I, I just can't say enough about his method of teaching. Um, he can be, he can be. I think the beginning of every video, he's a little bit self-depreciating, and he, he does it with humor, and then he goes on to give a very technical lesson, a very practical, hands-on visual lesson of the subject that he is teaching about that week. And it's just, he's amazing. And I am so glad that he's part of the Laramie K team. And I'm so thankful that Keith through many conversations with me convinced me to bring him on. It's just been such a a pleasurable experience to, to work with John Seegers and to have him on our team. Yeah, no, no, he's definitely a great asset. Um, and to the, all the listeners out there, we'll put links to um, all the Laramie K videos with John Seegers and other um, information on our website where you can find that and uh, links to YouTube channel and Facebook. Um, Janet, can you also talk about uh, some ABO prep material that you guys have? I think you have even a, a little paid program that's pretty affordable. Yeah, we do. Um, a lot of people have told us that they'll sign up for the complete access and that's $9.99 a month. And it's essentially like any of the books that you can buy. Um, It goes chapter by chapter through anything that they might cover on the ABO test. And we also give a practice test at the end. So at the end of each chapter, you can even choose to submit your your answers and have a certificate saying that you've completed that chapter, or you can just do it for your own personal, um, I I guess your own personal knowledge. Um, But at the end of it for $9.99 a month, um, it's actually, I think one of the best prep courses out there for the ABO. And it's like you say, it's very affordable. There's some people out that, really just they don't have the money for continuing education. Um, so it's something that we wanted to offer and, and have it available to anybody that wanted to learn. 
Well, awesome. Uh, we are very happy that uh, you're providing that and again, elevating the profession. Um, well, Janet, I want to thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast today. Um, it's very interesting getting into the behind the scenes operations of a laboratory because uh, like Dr. Pearl said, we're, everyone's disconnected from each other. You know, the only time we're really together is at, you know, vision expos, but even then it's, it's loud, it's noisy, and we're just kind of waving, saying hi. Right. And no yeah. one wants to admit that they don't know everything. Yeah. So, so one, of, um, one, of the, one of the YouTube videos that we have on there is actually a lab tour from walking in the door to watching UPS walk out the door with the packages. Oh, um, that's great. It's about 20 to 25 minutes long, but it actually wow. goes wow. through. It goes through every single step that the lab takes in order to produce the RX that you've sent in. I think that would give everyone a greater appreciation of what's actually involved. Have you ever counted the amount of steps uh, in, in actually getting a lens in and out? Ugh. No, I really haven't. Um, there's, there's probably at least 40 to 50 that and everything that, has to work just right during those 40 to 50. Exactly, so, right. Everything yeah. has to be perfect. From selecting the color tray it goes in so we know what material, how to process it, to um, one of the most important things is making sure that we're putting the finished product in the right box and sending it to the right customer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that seems kind of... Um, it's happen. It happens. Shipping it is, does. And shipping it is hard. Yep, yeah. it happens with us. One of the only, one only of the, when you need it only when you need it overnighted, oh uh, just gosh. before a holiday, or oh. for your or for your uh, CPA or attorney though, or exactly. family member, right? Yeah. yeah, that's when it happens. Yeah, one of the interesting thing about Optician Works is we've got some of the big opticals that sign up in mass, and they use it for training their new oh, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. And then another thing that I would like to add. Um, is that when we selected IoT, we call them our lens architects because that's really all they do is they design lenses. Um, but we are extremely proud to have been selected as one of the IoT test labs. So when they have new product that comes out, we're one of the laboratories that they use to test their new designs. Well, that's quite an honor. I think it is. They're incredible to work with. Um, and for people that don't know, IoT is a uh, Spanish uh, lens design company and Dizen Optical Technologies. Um, they don't actually have labs. They just design them. So that's, uh, exactly. that's cool that you guys are part of that uh, pilot and launch programs they always have. Yeah. Um, well, Jenny, I think there's going to be um, a lot of individuals out here that might want to ask you some technical lab questions or maybe open accounts. Um, how can uh, listeners get in touch with you? Um, they can either they can either call the lab. Um, the number is on the Facebook page on our we've got a, a website LaramieKOptical.com. Um, they can PM me on Facebook um, either. Janet Benjamin or Laramie K Optical. They can message us on either one of those and we can get in touch with them. Um, we've got a program also that's called My Patient is Waiting. And with that, you don't even have to be a customer. Um, you can just tell us that your patient is waiting. And for instance, you've got a 
product that your other lab has turned down so that they can't do it. So before you say no to that client and let them walk out your door, um, give us a call, give us the parameters, and we'll actually run it through the computer for you and let you know if it will work and give you some idea of what it'll look like before you tell that person that, no, this can't be done. That's actually a really good idea. I can't tell you how many times we all experience that. So rather than just giving up, because you know for sure that person's going to go down the street to the next optical and try and figure out a, a solution. Exactly. Or they just suffer the rest of their life. Exactly. That's true, Which too. is not fun either. Right. Right. Well, thank you, Janet. It's been remarkable talking with you. And uh, it's going to give us all pause to think about really what happens between the time we send off a job and we get it back. And, and the time, timeliness of receiving that and, and having a, a nice quality that represents our, our personal brand or our brand of our practices and offices and shops. So with that, thank you again. And hopefully everyone will listen to this podcast and look at your other resources on entrepreneur.com. Well, I really want to thank you very, very much for including me in this. I feel very honored. And very, you're very deserving of it. All right. Take care. Have a great weekend here. This brings us to the end of another episode of Entrepreneur, the podcast for Wizards of Eyes. Go ahead and click over to our website, entrepreneur.com, or head over to Facebook to join our special Facebook group, Entrepreneur. See you there.